Chapter Twelve of Recollections of Imperial Russia by Mariel Buchanan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Shores of the Black Sea. I have often heard people describe the Crimea as the Russian Riviera, or else perhaps compare its beauty to that of the Bay of Naples, but to me it will always stand alone, bearing no resemblance either to the south coast of France or to the loveliness of the shores along that most lovely of all bays, and that most loathsome of all towns in Italy. The Crimea has nothing of that cultured, obvious beauty of the Riviera, with its gleaming white hotels and casinos, its gorgeous villas, its sparkling, jewel-like towns, its dusty roads crowded with rich motors, its well-planned vineyards, its fields of sweet-smelling flowers cultivated for the capitals of Europe and the making of scent nor has it any of the sensuous haunting magic of the bay of naples where the huge looming mass of vesuvius shadows the mirror-like sea across which the white-sailed boats seem wafted like a dream the calling fishermen with their strange dark faces their songs and flaring torches the sudden storms the enervating oppression of the sirocco the constant festas and noisy fireworks the atmosphere of something brooding intensely abnormal restlessly immoral all this belongs to naples alone disturbing and amazingly beautiful the crimea is strange wild and reserved hiding under its blue skies and blue seas its sunshine and its blossoms a soul eternally untamed and primitive the secrets of the east history legend romance and poetry which hold all the grim majesty of those rugged brown cliffs all the unfettered immensity of the forests of pine trees that cover the towering mountains all the desolations of the plains where optical illusions bewitch the weary travellers all the beauty of those blue seas of those orchards of cherry trees and almond blossoms the charm of those names that read like the titles of fairy stories by adair alupka Orianda, Livadia, Massandra, and further on still, Eudag, Kuchuk, Lambat. The Romans called the Black Sea simply Pontus. The Greeks at one time named it the Inhospitable Sea, till later on, establishing their colonies, they changed it to Euxine, or the Hospitable Sea. To these shores Ovid, exiled by Augustus, came, and died after nine years of inconsolable homesickness, complaining of the fogs that sometimes veiled the country in thick mists, of the snow and ice, the bitter winds that swept down from the mountains, and seemingly finding no comfort in the summer sunshine and flowers. On the east of the Crimea lies the Sea of Asof, with its inlet arm of the Putrid Sea, later on called the Sivash, and joining it to the main line is the isthmus of perikop so narrow that the seas on either side look as if the first storm would bring them rushing together long before the greeks and romans came to the crimea it was inhabited by a race of the tauri from whom the name tauride peninsula was derived it was also at one time the site of a cimmerian and later on of a scythian kingdom the legend that Ulysses came to the Crimea on his wanderings and visited the Bay of Balaclava has been discredited by historians and learned men, but I like to think that this was the fair haven of the Lestrians that is described in the Odyssey. Whereabout on both sides goes one steep cliff unbroken, and jutting headlands over against each other stretch forth at the mouth of the harbour, and straight is the entrance, thereinto all the others steered their carved ships 
now the vessels were bound within the hollow harbour each hard by the other for no wave ever swelled within it great or small but there was a bright calm all around or as another translation puts it and smiling calmness silvered o'er the deep like everybody else i had always associated balaclava with the never-to-be-forgotten charge of the light brigade my only ideas of it were of rolling clouds of smoke and a green plain and beyond that i never seemed to go but when we had stood a moment on the slope where those british soldiers thundered to their death and turned at last to the blue bay i remember that i caught my breath shaken by a sudden emotion i find it hard to explain i know that up to that moment i had been tired and more than a little peevish four days journey from petersburg a day and a half of strenuous sight-seeing in sebastopol accompanied by luncheons teas and receptions with the constant effort of being polite and interested were all rather wearying and i had the feeling that i wanted to go away somewhere quite alone and not talk for at least twenty-four hours and then suddenly those blue waters between the towering cliffs the little sun-baked tartar village the golden ruins of the genoese fortress and a strange feeling of peace and tranquillity that made me forget all weariness and ill-humour for a long time i sat on the little wooden pier in front of the hotel further down was the naval club with its landing stage and diving board lombardy poplars shaded the dusty road growing up the hillside were little pink tartar houses low-roofed and quaint on the opposite shore a few white villas and the only sign of life some tartar children playing solemnly at a strange silent game and two young girls walking down the road with a collie puppy who bounded up to me and rubbed his cold nose against my hand and promptly then i made up my mind to come back one day to balaclava buy one of those pink tartar houses with a baby cypress tree and one or two almond trees in the garden bathe every day in those blue waters walk up the winding path to the genoese fortress and sit there looking out to the far horizon with only the seabirds to share one's solitude and at night sleep on the flat roof looking up at the stars and listen to the far-away whisper of the sea beyond the narrow passage of towering cliffs as one might listen to the far-away voice of the world shut away from one's retreat not far from balaclava towering out into the sea is cap violente which legend says is the ancient cape parthenium dedicated to diana taropolitana to whose temple iphigenia saved from sacrifice came as a priestess and near by where the rocks form a small bay is the monastery of st george set on the top of towering cliffs with little wild gardens grown by the monks laid out on the falling terraces founded in the tenth century the old monastery saw many changing races come and go here the allied armies had quarters during the crimean war and here florence nightingale had a room still shown to visitors it was very empty and silent the sunny april morning we drove over from sebastopol for the monastery supplied the chaplains to the fleet and more than half the holy brothers were away serving on the grey battleships at anchor in the harbour or guarding the coast the almond trees in the garden were all in bloom the soft sea air seemed laden with the scent of violets halfway down the cliff some yellow broom flamed in sudden startling splendour there was a little white chapel perched there on the rocks hung it seemed between sea and land and as we sat under the trees in front of the monastery an old grey-bearded monk came out and slowly began the long laborious ascent golden-brown amber and red the great cliffs reared themselves above the sea 
the colour of that water vainly one sought in one's mind for something to liken it to aquamarine turquoise sapphire lapis lazuli all of these it was and yet not one of them seemed blue enough a bell chimed from the green-domed church the sound of singing voices came out into the sunlit silence in the distant kitchen there was a faint rattling of pots and pans a tortoiseshell cat curled up on the steps got up stretched itself with luxurious slowness blinked solemnly at some white chickens in the garden yawned again and settled itself down once more while far out at sea a thin grey cruel-looking ship drove at terrific pace through the smiling waters a torpedo destroyer making for the harbour of sebastopol a reminder of the war that raged in hellish destruction miles away from the peace of this enchanted haven further up the rocky coast toward sebastopol lies cherson founded originally by colonists from bithynia and turned by the romans into a military centre of the crimea later on being a dependence of the byzantine empire it was besieged by vladimir the great grand prince of kiev and it was here that the little red son of russia was baptized in the orthodox faith golden walls crumbling and falling against a background of a sea intensely blue the scent of thyme and mint the soft radiance of sunshine and that nameless mystery that lays a caressing hand on the ruins of dead cities that is cherson a fortress of mithridates king of pontus a roman military camp conquered in turn by greeks russians and tartars for in the thirteenth century came the dread invasion of russia by the mongolian tartars and the great genghis khan making batu khan viceroy of his empire in the west and fixing the capital of the golden horde at great sarai on the volga founding at the same time the town of bakchi sarai extending his conquests into the tauride peninsula till finally mengli timur gave it to one of his nephews ordaining that it be called krim or little tartary the genoese merchants sending their ships on from constantinople into the black sea had their settlements too along the shores making rich commerce in the treasures brought from the far east silks perfumes furs flax brought by caravan to the caspian sea they were transshipped to the crimea the dark-faced men of genoa and venice sending them on once more to italy and france making much profit through the transaction while at kaffa was the slave market where the russians who could not pay the taxes were sold by the tartars and sent to constantinople or to the sultans of egypt then spreading fear and terror before him the great savage figure of timur the lame rose on the eastern horizon timur as he is sometimes called timur khan or tamerlan pitiless and unscrupulous driven forward ever by a restless insatiable desire for adventure by the spirit of wandering the desire for new conquests and new countries born in samarkand he became the leader of the chagatai turks when he was thirty-three then conquered persia and won teheran where seven thousand victims fell while later at the siege of baghdad towers were made of the severed heads of men women and children to serve as a warning and an example persia he conquered invaded india and sacked delhi in egypt he overcame the Osmanti turks and northwards so far that day and night were almost one his banners were seen by his command his general toktamish fell upon the golden horde murdered the khan mamai swept across russia and sacked moscow leaving twenty-four thousand dead in a ruined city 
the crimea did not escape the common fate the genoese and venetians were driven out and the country became a tributary state of timur's boundless empire but after his death a prince of the line of genghis saved from the general massacre when still a baby and brought up in a rough shepherd's hut came back into his own and became khan of the crimea adapting the name of his protector and calling himself haji devlet garai the old pink palace of the gardens at bakchi sarai has many memories here the khans converted to mohammedanism had their harems here in the golden painted halls crudely decorated in greens and blues and reds they held their court fierce men fearless and intrepid dark-skinned bright-eyed and lithe they came back to these cool shadowed rooms tired of the glare of the hot sun weary of hunting and fighting or chilled perhaps by the thin mists that drift across the plains and here in the green gardens with the whispering fountains they lie buried with a fading turban of silk or brocade still lying on their stone coffins here lies haji garai and mengli garai and that khan who had his tomb unenclosed because the heavens were so beautiful that even from his grave he wished to look towards the firmament and the abode of god here too is the fountain of tears erected so legend says to maripotaka who passed her days in weeping bitterly held prisoner by menglikarai history asserts that the legend is untrue but when one stands in that shadowed room where the beautiful polish girl was supposed to be imprisoned one feels inclined not for the only time to think that history is after all very unsatisfactory throwing as it does doubts and disbelief on all that is romance dark and keen-eyed and in his way beautiful was menglikarai and in his harem were women who worshipped him but though their loveliness charmed him there was something his restless spirit sought for which they could not give him and always was he dissatisfied then in a warlike raid over the frontier of poland he made a surprise attack on the castle of the potaki and among much treasure carried off with him the old count's daughter in triumph he brought her back to his palace at bakchi sarai and those dreams of his vague and dim in his eastern half-savage mind were fulfilled at last for in this little captive polish girl with her white skin and deep blue eyes he had found what he had hungered for all his life the women of his harem were neglected and forgotten all the treasures his palace held gold brocade and stuffs of gleaming silk furs and velvets and precious stones he laid in humble offering at the feet of the girl who shrank in loathing horror from his touch unconsoled by all his gifts cold as marble beneath his kisses weeping the golden hours away in a grief that nothing could assuage day after day he knelt at her feet imploring for some return of the love that consumed him beating his heart out in vain against the barrier of her hatred and disdain appeals and prayers and offerings of precious stuffs of flowers and jewels all alike powerless to stay her tears then one morning he left the palace to go hunting across the plains seeking in the mad gallop of his white charger forgetfulness from his misery and during his absence one of the women of his harem a georgian girl filled with hatred for the white doll who had stolen the heart of the khan crept thickly veiled to the prisoner's door and with soft words bribed the soldiers on guard to let her pass 
noiselessly on bare brown slender feet she crept across the shadowed room to the divan where amidst the green and silver cushions the polish girl lay in utter abandonment to grief to have the love of menglikarai and yet to weep the lip of the georgian girl twisted in bitter scorn in the old days his hand had sometimes played with her dark hair and he had often called her beautiful now because of this white doll he never even glanced her way once twice three times her slim jewelled dagger flashed above the weeping figure among the green and silver cushions and after one little choking cry there was silence in the big room only through the carved wooden shutters came the whisper of the fountains in the garden the singing of a blue-breasted bird in one of the flowering cherry-trees it was some time later that menglikarai his eyes alight with the intoxication of his mad gallop came to the guarded door the soldiers with their bared swords falling back to let him pass with hands outheld in words of love on his eager lips he came across the room and then paused with a sudden cry while beneath the tan of sun and wind his dark cheek grew gray and his eyes narrowed fixed in a stare of horror beneath the poplars and cherry trees in the garden he buried her and to her memory he raised the fountain where the water dripping like constant falling tears overflowed into ten marble shells set in a low basin i remember dining in a wing of the old palace of bakchi serai a dinner given us by the mayor of the town the chief inspector of police and several other dignitaries a strange dinner in a narrow room opening out onto the veranda a table adorned by a stiff bouquet of flowers in a bright blue vase a tartar waiter with an incredibly yellow impassive face bringing us an endless succession of queer dishes somewhere outside in the darkness the town band consisting of a somewhat cracked violin a cornet two or three mandolins and what sounded like a concertina playing wild haunting music the distant subdued murmur of the town rather like the buzzing of an insistent fly and in the garden the ripple of the fountains the low whisper of the grasses and the trees stirred by the soft night wind the scent of the east over it all mingled with dust and heat and flowers and musk and the blended smells of sun-parched grass of oil and dirt against the starlit sky the looming shadow and slender minarets of a mosque and beneath the trees the tombs of those long-dead men sleeping in the gardens great fighters and great hunters restless and unquiet and unafraid not far from bakchi serai is chufot kole and the valley of jehoshaphat the almost deserted city and burial-ground of the karaim jews direct descendants of the tribes of judah imprisoned in babylon they are said to have wandered from thence into armenia across the caucasus and finally into the crimea various differences in their doctrines and rules distinguish them from their brethren and though they have the same keen commercial sense they are scrupulously honest and clean and are respected by all with whom they come in contact one of them a dark grey-faced man with a small black beard and the eyes of a dreamer sat next to me at that dinner at bakchi sarai and i remember liking his quiet soft voice his perfect manners unobtrusive and simple the forethought through which a plate of hot honey-cakes found their way to our compartment in the train that evening because having had them for tea at chufut kale i had said that i found them delicious in the fifteenth century the crimea had become a dependent state of turkey 
but russia striving ever for a sea-front to further her trade struggled for many years for the conquest of that peninsula between the caspian and the black sea peter the great tried to wrest it from the turks but though he captured Azov, he was defeated near the pruth and had to surrender it once more might indeed have lost all his army had not his wife bargained with the grand vizier who commanded the turkish hosts through the succeeding reigns war after war swept over the country till at last under catherine the great the crimea was wrested from turkey and the empress in her triumphant journey through her new province came at last to the old palace of bakchisarai which the khan had been forced to leave the glittering superficial splendour of the russian court mingling strangely in those old eastern halls catherine's courtiers tittering and whispering in the harem with its marble bath the rustle of stiff brocade dresses the tapping of high-heeled shoes echoing on the stone pavements where the bare feet of women had fallen softly music and laughter the stately grace of a minuet the quick fire of a mazurka in the hall where the fierce-eyed khans had assembled their warriors protestations of love glowing promises made in the gardens where the fountains sang and dead men slept fighting and love alike forgotten in the history of those times one name still lives surrounded by many legends of the caucasus and the crimea the name of the bey mansur the man of mystery who came no man knew from whence appearing suddenly as the apostle of allah the tartars of the crimea and the kuban with the wild circassians and tribes of the mountains flocked to his standard and by many he was believed to be the isman mansur who according to the religious books of the mohammedans was to come from the caucasus and restore the great tartar empire imbued it seemed by some magic power he was saved over and over again from endless perils but pursued by the russian hosts he always managed to escape the thunder of his great black horse's hoofs would startle sleeping villages at night across the plains of the crimea the dust rose in a cloud behind him in the steep rocky passes of the caucasus he went where no man dared follow him till at last when the russians conquered the crimea he and his marvellous black horse both disappeared swallowed up it seemed as mysteriously as they had come was he captured and killed in some secret ambush did that horse of his carry him across the steps to the edge of the world or is the legend true that he was imprisoned for a hundred years in the depths of a mountain cave in many ways the tartars of the crimea differ from the mongolian tartars those fierce hordes of genghis khan who like an innumerable swarm of locusts flooded russia and threatened all eastern europe in the crimea the asiatic race has been mixed through centuries with greek and italian turkish and russian blood and the dark faces are keen and aquiline the eyes slope only a very little though in the expression one can see that oriental impassiveness the shut mask that hides all emotions and leaves one wondering whether behind it there are depths unfathomable or just utter emptiness perhaps in the history of the tartar hordes the most heroic and most tragic is the story of the terrible retreat of kalmuk tartars across russia to the distant walls of china between three and four thousand miles away settled on the banks of the volga near the caspian sea the kalmuks had their villages their towns and the painted wooden palaces of their khans but incited by the dark-hearted zebek darchi they organized a concerted rising and against the better judgment of their gentle young khan arbachi started early in january in the year seventeen eleven 
that long march leaving behind them burning villages and palaces taking with them women and children and huge flocks of cattle attacked by wandering cossack tribes pursued continually by flying columns of the russian army a prey to hovering packs of wolves perishing in their hundreds and thousands from cold from exhaustion from starvation they toiled on through the long bitter months of winter the radiant months of spring leaving behind them as they went a terrible trail of fallen bodies the bleaching bones of those who never were to attain the journey's end the cows and sheep and bullock many even of the camels had perished when in may having traversed two thousand miles they crossed the river targan and were attacked by the savage tribes of the kirghizes and the bashkirs who pursued them unceasingly in their onward journey not till september did the chinese cavalry sent out to their aid by the emperor koan lang reach the exhausted people of the lake of tangis near the desert of kobi where they were being once more fiercely attacked by the forces of the bashkirs then at last for those who remained of the kalmuk millions there was peace and plenty but along the endless roads of their grievous pilgrimage the bones that lay bleaching in sun and wind told the tale of their martyrdom along the shores of the black sea in green valleys on rough rocky slopes little tartar villages cluster mosques with slender minarets low-roofed houses whitewashed or painted a faded salmon pink children with solemn faces wearing stiff red and gold caps look up at one with enormous dark brown eyes men whose features are more greek than asiatic smile and murmur a gentle greeting while women peer at one curiously from dark doorways or rough-covered carts drawn by little shaggy horses decorated with blue beads to keep off the evil eye all the radiance of the east lies about them all the glamour of a race fast dying out and becoming extinct the empire of genghis khan of timur the lame where has it gone the fountains that whisper in the gardens of bakchi sarai the tombs of those sleeping princes with the turbans of faded and decaying silk the rocks that fall golden-brown into the sea the masses of white cherry blossoms pure as new-fallen snow the ineffable stillness of the bay of balaclava the legends that are only a far-away memory these are all that remain of the cimmerian and scythian kingdoms of the rich prosperity of genoese settlements the might of unconquerable tartar armies the splendour of russian emperors the great palaces still stand in their green gardens livadia with its sweeping terraces dropping down to the deep blue of the sea alupka built by an english architect for prince Warrensov, and called sometimes the crimean alhambra by reasons of its intricate moorish style korites the wonderful palace of prince yusopov orianda masandra aitodor those who loved them are dead or have been exiled from their beauty and the roses of livadia wither their petals wind-blown down the lawns like the drifting fragments of fallen greatness End of chapter 12